Good evening, everybody. How are you doing tonight? Wow, that tired, huh? You guys are like, we just barely made it. No. <laughs> well, I'm, I, I understand. I understand. You know, um, one foot in front of the other, right? Please open your Bibles to Ezra chapter 5. Uh, my heart is that tonight everybody walks out of here full of the Holy Spirit and ready and has their tackling fuel for the week. And so, um, you know, I hope everyone's come expectant to hear from the Lord, from his holy word. And uh, wouldn't it be great if we just, I don't know about you, I pray this often, I just want to get out of the way. Do you know what I mean? I don't just mean up here, but I mean, even when I'm reading that, I just like, Lord, I just want you to just minister to my heart. Just minister to my heart. Let me get out of the way. Turn this off. And just let me hear from that still small voice. I need you, Lord. Right? If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and uh, one of our elders will hand you a Bible. Does anyone need the Word of God? It's, it's important to follow along line by line. Well, thank you. Well, we have been um, making our way, Genesis, through the book of Revelation, and we happen to be in Ezra chapter 5. Um, you may or may have not been with us last week, but there is a 15-year gap. Um, there's some, by the way, there's pens. I, I never forget, to, I forget to say this all the time. There's notebooks and pens in the back there. So if you're taking notes or you want to do that, I, I encourage you to go ahead and do that. But um, I was going to say, if you have a pen, why don't you write that between the end of chapter four and the beginning of chapter five? Because there's a 15 year gap or so. And it's important because basically the way we left it off, or the Lord had left us in chapter four, is that. Ezra, well, Zerubbabel specifically, if you remember back in chapter 1, it says, Now in the first year of King Cyrus Persia, the, that the word of the Lord might by the mouth of Jeremiah be fulfilled, that the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and also put in writing, saying that Cyrus, king of Persia, and all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God in heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem. So that command was given, okay, and then an invitation was given for the Jewish people to make the trip back with Zerubbabel, okay, and they were to come back and they were to begin to rebuild the temple. Well, we know that they hit some friction as we read in the chapters, and um, basically what they began to do is they stopped building the temple. They stopped all work. They, bas they basically were disobedient. And, and yes, some of that does fall on Zerubbabel's shoulders, but the people as well that were gathered. And so what this leads and what this looks like to the surrounding nations, and that's important because we have to talk about God's testimony in this as well. The surrounding nations, Zerubbabel, the 50,000 that had also come back with him, the surrounding nations are looking at this, and it looks like our God um, can't give them the power to finish. That's what it actually looks like to the surrounding nations. They don't understand. They don't know about the, you know, the, the understanding of the relationship with God, Jehovah, and how God is faithful and true. They, they don't know all of those things. All it looks like is that his people, clearly they were given a command. They were told to rebuild the temple. And for whatever reason, they just stopped building it because it was too hard and they didn't want to push through the difficulty. And it's been 15 years since they've had this command. It wasn't like, oh, a year went by, Right. We're talking 15 years. What happens, and we're going to look at this in a minute, in Haggai, we learn that they start living like the world. 
they actually start living like the other nations. They begin to repair their own houses, their own possessions, their, their own lives. Their focus gets taken off the house of God, the, the place where um, they were told that people could come and worship the word of God. Their focus got t- taken off that and it got brought onto their own situation, own circumstances, only own lives, personal situations. And, and so God graciously, long-suffering and patient, has been waiting for them to pick back up and do it. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like they're going to do it on their own. So what God does is God sends two of his prophets. And he sends, as we're going to read here in chapter 5, verse 1, he ends up sending Haggai and Zechariah. And they were contemporaries, and he sends them, and they're to be mouthpieces to the people in the land. Remember, what's striking about this is this is the people that are the post-exilic people that have come out of captivity after 70 years. They've already seen the mistakes or at least learned of the mistakes that their parents and their grandparents had made, and they came into the land, and they didn't want to make the mistakes. And then what are they starting to do? Fall right into the same line as their family members that went before him. And so God is faithful. God is always faithful to send a word. And he does it at this time through these prophets as a mouthpiece. So I'm going to read chapter 5. We'll read um, this passage together. I'm going to take us to Haggai tonight so we can get a, a good understanding from the prophet of what he was telling the people. And then we'll come back in and we'll then go line by line and verse by verse. Does that sound good? Let's bow our heads. We'll pray and we'll... We'll, we'll pray to our Father. Father, we, we thank you to be here tonight, Lord. We thank you that we have the word of God. We thank you that, Lord, we're in a safe building where you've provided um, all the comforts we could ever want, Lord, um, here right now tonight. You still our hearts. You've anointed your word. Lord, you're, you're going to teach us so much tonight, um, not just about what happened as a history lesson, although, Lord, we love those things. But, Lord, you're teaching us your character. You're teaching us your heart. You're teaching us how much you love Israel. And, Lord, how much you love you, uh, all of us here tonight. God, it's your desire that we would be obedient. It's your desire that we would fall in and worship and give you the glory and honor you deserve. It's your, it's your desire that, Lord, we don't become like the surrounding nations or the people that are around us, Lord, but that we become light and draw people to you, Jesus Christ, the hope that we have. So, Father, I pray tonight, as I, Lord, came up here, I could look out and see some eyes and some faces, Lord, that looks like they've, maybe some have had a rough week here, Lord. Maybe a rough day today. Maybe it was a beautiful Thanksgiving and a time with family and friends, but, but now, um, Lord, maybe their tank is on E, and God, I know you are more than sufficient. You are sovereign, I pray, Lord, light the fire in our hearts here tonight again. Pour out your truth, Lord, liberally. And we just ask this, Jesus Christ, meet with us now, Lord. In your holy name we pray these things, and all God's people pray. Amen, amen. Amen. If you'll look in uh, Ezra chapter 5, verse 1, we'll read together. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Ido, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem, in the name of God of Israel, who was over them. So Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, and Jeshua, or Jeshua, the son of Josedach, 
rose up and began to build the house of God, which was in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. Now, if we read it in this passage right here, and we don't go to Haggai, it sounds like, oh, the prophet spoke, they stood up and said, let's get back to work. It's been 15 years. Let's be obedient. Let's, let's build the Lord's house. It's not exactly how that went down. Hold your finger here one second, and please turn to the book of Haggai in your scriptures here. And I draw you to Haggai chapter 1. So go probably, I don't know, 50 to 100 pages to your right. Um, and you'll get to the, the book of Haggai. You'll see Zechariah. And then um, obviously uh, Malachi after that. And then you'd be in your New Testament of Matthew. So um, back, if you get to Matthew, go to the left a few books and you'll be back in Haggai. We're going to look at chapter 1 here. And, and I love this. This is what I love about studying the Word of God. I, I really love studying the Word of God. So did Ezra, by the way, as we're going to read uh, if we get there tonight. If not, by chapter 7, uh, we'll definitely read that. Ezra was a scribe and a priest, and he loved the Word of God. I mean, he studied it his whole life. Um, and God called him as a priest to come and um, teach the people the Word of God, the truth. Um, and I just... I just love studying these things because I, I find those little areas of my heart that some, you know, things can creep in there that if I'm not aware of, um, they can take seed or they can take hold. And it's so God's word and God is so faithful to stir me up, to encourage me, to, to remind me, to remove those things, to repent, to get away, you know, get those things out of there. Because I could be just like any of these other um, men or women. I, we all have the tendency to, uh, we love the Lord, but we can seek comfort, can't we? I, I think as a, as a, as a species, <laughs> humanity, we like comfort. I love comfort, you know? Uh, so it's really good to stir these things up, to see these things, and to understand and take an examination of my life is, Lord, what are you showing me? Is there areas of my life that maybe I haven't been faithful there is my life where you've commanded me to do something, but maybe I haven't been as obedient as I should be, Lord. And God's word is so faithful not to be a respecter of persons that the Holy Spirit goes right in there and he's so gentle and he shows us these things that we can get right back on track, that we can get in that right relationship in that right place. Thanks be unto God for that. So if you look at Haggai, all of you should be there by, by now. Haggai chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the second year of King Darius in the sixth month on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shatiliel, governor of Judah and Joshua, the son of Jezedek, the high priest saying, thus speaks the Lord of hosts saying, this people says, so now we get the background. Remember we just read over there. It sounded like Zerubbabel said, oh, okay, Haggai, let's get after it. Well, not exactly. What was really happening? Here it says, the people are saying, the time has not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. What were they saying? They're saying, the time for me is now. Not the time for serving the Lord. Not the time for building the building or building the temple. No, no, no. It's, it's my time now. Right? The time has not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Oh, God didn't mince words. He laid it down hot, didn't he? Through the prophet. What did he say? He says, you'll fix up your own houses. You'll be, you'll be interested in the things of your life. 
You're, you know, but my house, the temple, the place where you're supposed to come and worship me, he says, that just lays in ruins. And you're not even bothered by it. 15 years went by. And you're indifferent. You didn't even care. That's what he's saying. I mean, he's really stirring them up. To, he's not doing this in a mean way. He's doing it to, to convict, to show them what has happened. That you are paneling your houses and you're, you're, you're replacing your floors. You're, repla- you're doing all these other things. And God's house is sitting in shambles. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You know what sowing is. Remember, this is agricultural, agrarian society. They they had sown much. You know what it is to sow? You plant seed. And and the idea behind is they were given much. They had much. They were financially very doing well, if you could say it that way. They They were blessed. And he says, you bring in little. In other words, where, where, is your, where is your focus on the kingdom of God? You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but are not filled with drink. He then goes on to say, the problem is, is it's never enough. I give you more, and you what? You want more. And I think this is important because I don't think he's just talking about Israel here. And I don't think he's just talking about a post-exilic people. I think the carnal heart, I think my heart can be like that. You know, uh, instead of one piece of cheesecake or apple pie, I'm very content to go back for four or five, right? Notice I didn't say two or three. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to fib with you. I'm going to go back for four or five, right? Instead of one canola, I'm going to go back for cannolis, plural, multiple, five, right? I'm looking at, come on, am I the only one in here? You guys are looking at me like that heathen Babylonian priest up there. No, I'm, I think he's showing a little bit about, showing a little, a little bit of the tendency of a human to always want more and more. You clothe yourselves, but no one's warm. And he who earns wages, earned wages to put into a bag with holes. What, what is that? You know the other saying, what do you do? You're just taking your money and, you're, and you, you set it on fire. What are you doing? You're burning it. Like, what are you doing that's going to last eternally? If it's all temporal focused and you're building all this and you put all this into the temporal what are you doing eternal? Because the last I checked, and, I, and I've done several funerals, I've never seen anyone with a U-Haul hooked up to their casket or their spirit going to the Lord with the U-Haul following right behind them to heaven. And I don't mean that to be insensitive. I, I really don't. I'm, I'm wanting to be very sensitive. But the fact and the stark reality is we don't take a single material item with us from this earth. And yet we work our whole lives to have those material possessions. And the things that are going to last eternally, like the seeds of salvation and the giving the gospel and, and doing the work, you know, you know, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, the church, everything that we do, all of those things, many times they, they're afterthoughts or they're moments of convenience. And we wonder how we get it out of balance. 
That's exactly what was happening to the the men and women that had come back into the promised land. They they were only there a short period of time, 15 years, and already they've got it out of balance again. And they continue to put themselves back into the hole and they're just taking money, using it, but not, none of it, it's all temporal. And why does God care? Is, is, God, is God broke? Is, is God coming back and going, hey man, I could really use that? Or is it because he knows that one day, I really believe this, when we get to heaven and we have that examination of our lives, we're going to look back and think about how much more we could have done. Or the, I already look back and I think, boy, why, why did I, Lord, so, it's a, why did I wait so long to become a Christian? Why, Lord, why did I wait so long to, you know, put you first? That's what he's talking about here. And, and I think it's protective. Like he, he's, he's telling us that because he doesn't want us to get up to heaven and then I think be remorseful of that without a, a warning or a, I want you to see what you're doing. By the way, this isn't going to, I mean, when Jesus came, right, we're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ in, in December here, Christmas, and we read that our God didn't even have a home. A place to lay his head. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lie his head. And yet we seek after all of the comfort first. And then say, God, after, we'll give you through our ties, through our giving, through our time. We'll give you what's left. Instead of it being the other way around where we give God the first fruits of the offering... And then what remains we have, but all for his kingdom, because it's all his, isn't it? And that's what he was revealing to them. I don't think that they were necessarily doing it deliberately. They, they were backsliding, but I don't think they recognized they were backsliding. And how good is our God that he doesn't let us continue to downward spiral? He comes to them and he says, no, look what you're doing. And yes, it's convicting. And yes, he lays it down hot. But I'm thankful God does this. I'm thankful when he does that and convicts me of my sin in my heart and doesn't let me continue to drown and then go, well, that's not my problem. No, he's a caring, loving, compassionate God. And he tries to deliver me from those things. It says in verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. Says the Lord, you looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Says the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that is in ruins. Well, every one of you in ruins runs, excuse me, to your own house. What is he saying there? He says, you strived, you worked, oh, you went out, you gathered all these things. And it, and it did feel like to you it was never enough and you could never get ahead. Why could you never get ahead? He said, because I blew it all away. Because your priorities were wrong. He says, therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew and the earth withhold its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains and the grain of the new wine and the oil on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock and in all the labor of your hands. Why was he doing that? Because he wanted to get their attentions. 
Do, do you, their attention, I shouldn't say not attentions, plural, attention. Do you know how difficult it is, I think, sometimes for the Lord to do that today? It, it was so much simpler back then because you didn't have rain. You didn't have crop. You didn't have crop. You starved. You made sure to pray. You made sure to be about your father's business. Today, we are so blessed and so fortunate that many of us have a freezer in our homes. Some of us even have two of them. One that we have just for, you know, regular groceries for the week. And then like we have like a chest in our garage or basement or something like that. And we even have food in it. Frozen. And we can, some of us can go six months, three months without ever having to go to the grocery store. Think about that. How, how, what it takes for the Lord to get our attention. I, I don't mean that's a bad thing. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being, you know, preparing and doing things like that. The, the Proverbs would tell you that's okay. But what the point is, is that it was so much easier for the Lord to get our attention because we were so dependent every moment. Water every day from a well, right? Going to pick it up and bring it back and... Now we just turn on a faucet and we, we expect the water to come right out. And if it doesn't, we're upset. We're mad. We're on the phone with somebody, you know. And did you, I forget what state it was re- recently. They just had to force everybody to boil the water again because there was a, cr- a crack in the main. And people were outraged. How could this be our tax dollars? I can't believe we have to put up with this. And yet I encourage you to go to some third world countries. As I've been and there is no running water. You're, to take a shower. Oh. That's a blessing. That's a privilege. Instead of jumping in the creek or something else similar, just to feel a refreshment in the, in the heat. He was calling their attentions to their selfishness, to their focus on self, their possessions, their lives. And it's all temporal and going to burn. You can turn back to chapter 5. That's the, can I say, the backdrop, the context of what's going on. God had been speaking to them for many years on this. And like I said, using, you know, whether it was the, you know, the droughts or the lack of rain or the lack of substance to communicate to them, hey, you're not in my will. You're not, you're not doing things the right way here. And again, today I think about it, how hard is it for him to get our attentions? We, we have these homes, we have gas, some of us, oil or propane or a wood-burning stove, and we have wood. The wood's even delivered sometimes, right? We, we, we have running water. And we, I mean, do we really know what it is to go without? Even when electricity goes out, I mean, it's out for what? Maybe a week or two at the most? I'm from Rochester, New York. We used to get something called ice storms. I don't know if you're familiar with those. <laughs> But we would get them for a week at a clip minimally. And many times you couldn't even get up and down your road because all the trees were down, you know, and everything. And, and literally you all came together. Whatever neighbor had what food, you many times would make meals together because you had to ration your food. Because a lot of times you didn't know it was coming. Or they said, oh, it could be. And, you know, it wasn't like today where, you know, you hear the threat of a storm and people run out and buy all the bread. Why is that? And why does everybody need bread? Like, what are we all doing with the bread? But... You know, or toilet paper, that's right. You know, please leave some for the rest of us. So, but, but in all seriousness, this was what was going on. 
And I guess what I'm saying is it can happen today. It can happen today too if we're not careful. We can begin living our lives for ourselves and not God. We could begin storing up storehouses for ourselves instead of building up the kingdom of God. So he goes on to say here, and going back to chapter 5, I'll just start in verse 1 again. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Idu, prophets prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. And maybe I should just take a moment, prophecy. Does everybody know what prophecy is here? I think sometimes we think of a prophet. That's an office. But does everyone understand the spiritual gift of prophecy and what it was looked like when used by, you know, the Holy Spirit properly uses the gift of prophecy? It's not always the foreknowledge or foretelling. I think, like, even we read this here, God is doing what? He is stirring up through these two prophets. He's not telling them future events. God is using these prophets to tell the people to stir them up to make change in their lives or to do something different, to encourage them. If you, if you hold your finger here, I promise you we will get through this chapter of Ezra. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I just don't want to, you know, I just don't want to rush through these things. They're very important spiritual gifts. And, you know, I remember teaching through Corinthians when we went through some of these. But, but I think the gift of prophecy is the one that Paul talks so much about in the church and desiring that gift even more than tongues or a lot of the other spiritual gifts because it's a gift that brings edification. And, and I don't know what gifts you've been praying for, but I pray, and I hope you all are praying, for that gift, the gift of prophecy to have. Um, and maybe the Lord would have you invoke that gift of prophecy here in your home, in your employment, in your jobs. But, but look what it says in verse 3. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. That's what it looks like. Uh, have anybody, I don't want to raise a hands, but has anybody ever been in a, a church where someone says, oh, I have a gift and a gift of prophecy, and now I have a word that I need to give everybody here, and, and it's doom and gloom, and it's don't get on the airplane, and it's, you know, don't ride the railway, don't, don't go into work tomorrow, don't do these things, and I, I'm always, I get the uh, check in my spirit when I hear those things, because I'm going 1 Corinthians 14, 3. Wait a minute. God tells us, but he who prophesies speaks edification. What is to edify? That's to build up, not to tear down. That's not to tear down. That's to build up the body of Christ. And I've seen many of you actually exercise the gift of prophecy here. You may not even know you have the gift when you go up to somebody and you give them a good word. Or you might turn around and be like, you know, you're doing a really good job. Or I'm just so encouraged by this or that. And you don't even realize what you're saying. You're just speaking and the Spirit is working through you. And you may not even be aware that the gift of the Holy Spirit's being used at that moment. But somebody that's hearing that is being comforted. They're being built up. They're being encouraged. And that is the actual gift of the Holy Spirit called prophecy. And he says, it's to do what? It's to comfort, right? It's to exhort and bring comfort to men. It's to stir up. Oh, we can turn back now. So that's exactly what God had given these two prophets. In addition to the office of a prophet, which they have, they were also exercising the gift of prophecy to stir the people up. Because what had they become? complacent, stale, indifferent. And he's stirring them up to the work of the Lord, to the focus of the Lord, to the focus of the building, the temple, the things of God, not the things of man. 
Sometimes we need to be stirred up that way, don't we? We need to be stirred up that way. Praise God for his faithfulness. Verse 2, so Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil and Jeshua, the son of Jezedek, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. What, did it, what happened? The gift of the Holy Spirit worked. It stirred them up, and they began to actually do the things that God was, was calling them to do and to begin to start to rebuild or build this temple. At the same time, Tetaniah, the governor of the region beyond the river, and Shadar Bazni or Baznaya, and their companions came to them and spoke to them, "Who has commanded you to build this temple and finish this wall?" So, so what's happening here? Well, first of all, they're coming back to obedience. Did you think that the enemy and the evil one is going to turn around after 15 years of success and just say, well, I'll give, them a, I'll give them a little year or two now because after all, I've been having the victory, the evil one. I've had the victory for the last 15 years. No, what does he do? He amps it right back up again. You're going to start doing the work of the Lord. You're going to start being obedient. Expect the spiritual warfare. Expect the spiritual warfare to come. And that's exactly what we see here. You're to build this temple and finish this wall. Well, then accordingly, we told the names of the men who were constructing this and building, but the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews so that they could not make them cease till the report could go to Darius. So what happened? They basically were saying, hang on, wait a minute. Before you start building again, let's go back and hear back from Darius because really this temple being built in the wall and everything, it will occur over the period of two main emperors. If you count Nebuchadnezzar, where God even moved through that, if you think about it by keeping the things and then giving back, it'll be three different emperors between the Babylonians and the Persians that God will basically use for his purpose and effort. And so what's happening here is they're saying, no, 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 wait, just wait, hold it. Don't do anything more, wait on it. Wait till we hear back from the king of Persia on what you're to do. But praise God, what does Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel do this time? Absolutely not. He says, no more waiting. He says, we're going forward. Nothing is going to stop us. Who's asking him to do this? The people that are the regencies in that area. It's the government. It's the government of that area. That's what that is. The regencies of that area is the government of that area. <laughs> And they're saying, stop it. You're not to build until we tell you. Okay. And normally you'd say, okay. <laughs> Except what? God had already commanded Cyrus. They had already been given a command. Zerubbabel would come back with 50,000. So it wasn't as though they didn't get a command. It's not like they were being presumptive. They were being disobedient by not continuing to build. So they're not going to wait. They're going to say, no, no, no certainly we would look back in this and say, well, what did they wait 15 years for? Look, sometimes we get off. Sometimes we get misdirected, misguided. But praise God for his faithfulness that with the right motive in heart, he will redirect us. He will stir us up. And that's what these two prophets just did. And they're saying, no, we're not going to cease this time. Then the, a writer and sorry, then a written answer was returned concerning this matter. This is the copy of the letter that Tatnaniah sent, right? The governor of the region, 
that's Persia, beyond the river that Shethar Banzani, again the government, and his companions, the Persians who were in the region beyond the river, to Darius the king. They sent the letter to him in which was written, To Darius the king, all peace. Let it be known to the king that we went into the providence of Judea, to the temple of the great God, which is being built with heavy stones and timber, is being laid in the walls, and the work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Then we asked those elders and spoke to them, Who commands you to build this temple and to finish these walls? Who, what's the answer, friends? God. God. I mean, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that we are ever in a position that we should disobey the government to disobey the government just to disobey the government. That's not biblical. Romans 13 will tell us that. We're to be good citizens until it's contrary to what? The word of God. And then we must put the word of God before the laws of man. That's what we read in our Bibles. That's what the scriptures teach us. And I will also go on saying historically, Christians have been known as, known as some of the best citizens in governments near and afar. In other words, whether they were in their local government or they were in part of the diaspora and they were sent around to Europe, Asia Minor, modern Turkey. Again, Peter wrote to them that were dispersed. Again, they were all known. You can read the extra biblical writings. Christians were always known for being good law-abiding citizens until it meant that it was a compromise with the word of God and they would not do that. And nor should we. And nor should we. So they asked the elders and spoke thus to them, who commands you to build this temple and to finish these walls? We also asked them to the names to inform you that we might write the names of the men who were chief among you. And thus they returned us an answer saying, we are servants of God of heaven and earth and we are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built, who was that? Solomon, and completed. But because our fathers provoked the God of heaven to wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean who destroyed the temple and carried away to Babylon. We you know what I love about this passage? What do we read here? No more blame shifting by Tataniah. He's actually giving, an, for what it's worth, this governor, this, this, this man that's giving this account to the king, he's actually giving an accurate account, isn't he? He wrote an accurate letter to Darius the king. This is exactly what's going on. No more blame shifting. He's giving an accurate testimony to what had been done to Darius so that Darius can make a decision. I give, I give him credit for this as, as a governor, as, a, as part of the government locally. He's doing the right thing. He says he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the band of the, the Babylon, the, the Chaldeans, who were destroyed the temple and carried away the people to Babylon. However, in the first year, Cyrus came up, Babylon, King Cyrus, issued a decree to build the house of God and the gold and the silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple that was in Jerusalem and carried it into the temple of Babylon. Those King Cyrus took from the temple of Babylon and they were given to one named Sheshbazar. Now, who's Sheshbazar? We believe that's Zerubbabel. That's who Zerubbabel is, but Sheshbazar is his Persian or Babylonian name. Okay? Whom he had made governor. And he said to him, take these articles, go and carry them to the temple site that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be rebuilt to its former site. 
Then this same Shashbezar, or Zerubbabel, came and laid the foundation of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. But from that time, even until now, it has been under construction, is not finished. If you remember, what did, how did we leave off in chapter 4? They celebrated. They were worshiping God because they laid the foundation. They were praising him. But no further work was done. Now, therefore, here comes his request to Darius. If it seems good to the king, let a search be made of the king's treasure house, which is there in Babylon, whether it is, there, whether it is so that a decree was issued by King Cyrus to build the house of, the, of God at Jerusalem and let the king send his pleasure concerning this matter. So what has happened at this point is he's, he's, doing, he's doing an honest noble thing. He's going to the king Darius and he's saying, look, this is what the Jewish people have told us. This is what I believe to be aware of. Can you please check the annals or the records and see if that letter exists and what exactly did Cyrus spell out in that letter to give not only the uh, provisions financially, but also what did it spell out? What are they to be doing? And the King Darius issued a decree, and a search was made in the archive. So even King Darius does the right thing here. This is all the Lord moving. You'd realize these are foreign kings, right? They're, they're, they're polytheistic. They're not monotheistic kings. They don't believe in one God. They're, they worship multiple gods. But, but the Lord is hands on this. And so he, he turns around and he says, no, order, order a search for the archives where the treasures were stored in Babylon and at Archimethia or Metha, the palace where the province of Media was, the scroll was found, and it was recorded, and thus was written. In the first year, King Cyrus, King Cyrus issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be rebuilt, the place where they offered sacrifices, and let the foundation of it be firmly laid, its height 60 cubits, and its width 60 cubits, with three rows of heavy stone, one row of new timber. Let the expenses be paid from the king's Treasury. I think we all like that government funds to rebuild the church. How about it? Also, let the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which is Nebuchadnezzar, took from the temple, which is in Jerusalem, and brought to Babylon, be restored and taken back to the temple, which is in Jerusalem, each to its place, and deposit them in the house of God. So they found the decree. I mean, the decree had tremendous detail in it, didn't it? Tremendous detail. God put that on his heart to write such a specific decree that one day, when this would all come into question, Darius could go search the archives, find this, and go, yes, yes. Now, therefore, Taniah, governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar Bosniah, and your companions, the Persians who are beyond the river, keep yourselves far from there. He's, what is he saying? Stay out of it. Don't interfere. Let the work of the house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build the house of God on its site. This is favor given directly by God. Moreover, I issue a decree as to what you shall do for the elders of the Jews for the building of this house of God. Let the cost be paid at the king's expenses from taxes in the region from beyond the river that is to be given immediately to those men so that they are not hindered. God also does a miracle here and provides the funds, right? 
I, I'm looking at this. I'm, th- I'm watching as we have been starting this building project a couple of years ago. I'm watching how the Lord just opened every single door along the way for us to get our permits. He's doing it right now. Favor with our construction company, Lobar. Every single detail, God continues to go before us. And he continues to just have his fingerprints all over it so that we never glorify a man, but we only glorify God for what he is doing because he alone is worthy. And that's what we're reading. He, that's how God works. You want to see the character of God? That's what the character of God looks like. His hands and his fingers are all over. You can't miss it. And he gives favor and even, even provides funding. He's, he's taking care of all of it. So that they're not hindered. And whatever they need, young bulls, rams, lambs, for the burnt offerings of the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, and oil, according to the request of the priests. That salt's important at that time. Let it be given to them day without fail, that they may offer the sacrifices of a sweet aroma to the God of heaven and pray the life of the king and his sons. What did he say there? Here's a pagan king who says what? That they may offer sacrifices. What is that, friends? Worship that they may worship the one true God. Wouldn't that be awesome if we had a president stand up again or a governor stand up again and say, you know what? Everybody needs to get back to your Bible and we need to have just continual prayer and worship. We need a revival. Amen? We're going to close in this, this passage. I'll have the musicians come forward right now. I know it's going to take uh, them a few minutes to set some things up. The few musicians want to come forward. But as we're leaving, this, this, is what, this is what God has put on this pagan king who has no vested interest other than the fact that God is showing favor and giving favor here. He says, also, I issue a decree that whoever alters this edict, wow, let a timber be pulled from his house and erected and let him be hanged on it and let, the, and let his house be made a house of, or his, uh, made a refuge, excuse me, and let his house be made a refuge heap because of this. Did you just read what I read? What is this the introduction of? Who was the one that introduced crucifixion? It was actually the Persian people right between 400 and 800 BC. And this is the first evidence of it, that if they did not obey, they were to be crucified. That's what this says. Let him be hanged on it. Take a, take a timber, pull from his house, erect it, and let him be hanged on it, and let his house be made a refuge because of this. And may the God who causes his name to dwell there destroy the king, any king or people who put their hand to alter it or destroy it. He gives some teeth to this whole thing. The house of God, which is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, issue a decree. Let it be done digitally. He's been, what's he saying? Make it so. Isn't that awesome? For 15 years, they had been given to the obstacles before them. This is difficult. This is going to cost too much. This is going to be hard. How are we going to ever do this? And you know what they did? They gave into it. And instead, they turned their focus to their own homes, to their own lives, to their own. And they forsake or forsook the worship of God. And the minute that they began to step up and step in faith to do the work of the Lord, what did God do? He met them right where they were, gave them favor, gave them everything they needed to complete the job, complete the temple, and complete the building to be rebuilt. Do you think God does that today? 
do you think God wants to do that in your life when he calls you in obedience to something in your life? And you're going, but I don't understand how to do that. What's he want you to do? He wants you to step in faith and be obedient. And then you watch him bless your socks off. Because that's the God we serve. Amen? Will you stand with me? We're going to worship our Lord and Savior. I love these passages. I mean, they're just such encouragements for us. We need to be stirred up. We need that same type of encouragement in these last of the last days. To keep our hand on the plow. Don't take your hand on the, off the plow. Right? The, the cross before us, the world behind us, no looking back. Amen? All right, let's worship our Lord and Savior. Lord, you are the grand maestro. You can orchestrate everything. Make straight paths, Lord. Open every door. You are God, the only one forever, Lord. You deserve all of our worship.
came back to the heart of worship and it's all about you it's all about you jesus that's the truth it's all about jesus father you are so good jesus you are everything Thank you for blessing our hearts, meeting with us tonight, stirring us up, Lord, giving us the privilege to even worship you, Lord, glorify and lift your holy name. Lord, you are good. You are precious. Jesus, we love you. Please give us travel mercies to our homes. Lord, if you should give us another day, we pray you would give us divine appointments. And Lord God, we pray protection. We pray salvation. And Lord, we give you all of our hearts, Lord. We thank you that our hearts are returned to the right heart, a heart of worship, Jesus Christ. So we pray all these things in your name, Jesus, and all God's people pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you. Don't forget this Sunday's Communion Sunday. Look forward to seeing you then.